nations. Uh, it's been a bit of a slog since April, but might I encourage you, like you remember what I encouraged you right at the beginning to read through Galatians regularly and see what God might be saying to your heart? Can I encourage you to go back and read through Galatians again, even if it's just this week? There's only six chapters. And see if God brings anything to mind that, that might have been mentioned here over these past few months as we've gone through that book of Galatians. It could have been an illustration. It could have been a meaning of a word. It could have been uh, a, a direction that Paul gave to the churches of Galatians. Just see whatever God puts on your heart. And if he does, if there's a verse that sticks out or there's an illustration that sticks out or a word that sticks out, say, Lord, what does that mean for me today? That's what the Bible's about. It's not just somebody preaching on Sundays. It's, it's about what does your word mean for me today? And I pray that uh, God will bless you as you go back through Galatians again. But this morning, this morning we're uh, in the continuing saga of uh, John's gospel from a few years ago, seeing what Jesus sees. You remember that? Uh, so looking at what Jesus is looking at in the context of the scriptures that we'll be looking at today and seeing what he sees and see what he says to those people that he's with or those people that he's observing or those people that he's teaching. So that's the plan. Uh, just letting you know the plan is, is in John's Gospel from chapter 15 on through to the end of the year and, and then there'll be a couple of weeks uh, before Christmas when we'll focus on Christmas. So that's where we're going. And um, the, the folk that have uh, offered to preach while I'm on holidays, they'll be continuing on in the Gospel of John as well. So, if you want to get a, a heads up on it, start reading from chapter 15 and see what God says to you over the coming weeks in, uh, in John's Gospel. So, we're, we're actually considering John chapter 15, verse 17 to 27 this morning. And the reason why I'm looking at this is um, we did, I have preached on the earlier uh, chapter some time ago, but the context here is Jesus with his disciples. It's the week before the crucifixion. And in the last, in the chapters 15 to the end of John's gospel or John's letter, it focuses primarily on that last week that Jesus was on earth before he went to the cross and before he rose again. So he had some significant things to say to his disciples in the, in the privacy of the rooms where they were gathered, uh, that prepared them for what was coming ahead. They really didn't fully understand that he was going to be the saviour of the world. They really didn't fully understand what sort of death he might die. So he was preparing them for that, but he's also preparing them for beyond that and what their ministry would be like, what their service to him would be like. And that's where we pick it up today, in chapter 15. So if you've got your Bibles there, uh, you can follow along from verses 17 to 27. I will put them up on the screen so we can read them up there as well. that God will say something to you from this passage this morning. This is what John chapter 15 verses 17 to 27 says. Just a, a shout out to the people that are on Zoom today as well. Hopefully they, it's coming through clear to them. John says, this is my command, love each other or love one another, in some other translations say. Verse 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Do you get that so far? You know, the world hates, and that's a strong word, 
followers of Jesus because we follow Jesus. It, hate, it hated his disciples because they followed Jesus. And so it's for us too. Remember what I told you, he says, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. Why is that? Because Jesus came to tell us the will of the father. Verse 24, if I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet they have hated both me and my father. Is that true today? We see it, don't we? And we see anything that God says is good, the evil one and and people that listen to him say it's evil, it's sad. Verse 25, but this is to fulfill what what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Verse 26, when the advocate comes, some translators, translations say, when the comforter comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Who's that? Holy Spirit. Verse 27, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Can you see that he's preparing them? Yeah. The things that he's saying to them, he's preparing them for what lies ahead. They may not know about it, but he's preparing them. Uh, This morning I've I've titled this uh, message, Fundamentals Are Important. Okay, Fundamentals Are Important. He's preparing them. He's he's giving them the basics once again. Fundamentals are important. And I trust that we'll realise that too. You may have read the newsletter this week already. Uh, Fundamental Evangelical Christians... That's nearly a swear word these days by people who are opposed to the church and opposed to the gospel. But if you understand the meaning of it, that's who I am. I hope it's who you are too. You believe the word of God literally and you, you uh, uh, encourage and believe the gospel as much as you can. I want to tell you a story about fundamentals being important to life. And some of us might identify with this if we're old enough. Um, one pastor tells a story. He was about two weeks after he got his driver's license. So can some of us remember back that far, maybe? You know, um, uh, 17, 18. He was uh, driving on a very hilly, curvy, dangerous country road. Sadly, his girlfriend's father had been killed in a wreck on that same road a couple of years before. But he was coming home one day and uh, his back wheel of his car went off the edge of the road. But he didn't realise it was a six-inch drop from the bitumen down to the, to the dirt. And before he'd re- when he realised that, the, he pulled hard because the, the car jerked sideways. He pulled hard, found himself on the wrong side of the road, facing a vehicle that was coming with a grandma in and her five-year-old grandson was standing on the front seat of the car. That's how old it was, pre-seatbelt requirements days. Okay, And uh, at the last minute, he pulled away, cleared the car, but ended up upside down in the ditch on the side of the car. He was okay, he wasn't hurt. So some of the fundamentals of that story that weren't in place, if you know what I mean, one, he probably wasn't driving to the conditions of the road, uh, narrow country road, he didn't know about the ditch or the, the drop off the bitumen, 
Uh, certainly it wasn't a day when they encouraged seatbelts. We know better now, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, children have car seats, don't they? Yes, yes. So some of those fundamentals, if they, if they were required back then, they would have prevented a lot of the issues that he faced. And Jesus was reinforcing some fundamentals to his disciples, which I believe we need to take on board ourselves, to prepare them for any of the ditches on the side of the road they might face in the coming days, which, is, which were the result of hatred for followers of Jesus. So that's our preparation to do. And I trust that, that these three fundamentals that I share with you this morning will help us to be secure, grounded, solid in our faith with Jesus so that no matter what comes our way, we're unshakable if we have these fundamentals in place. And the first is this. There's a command. Jesus says, love one another. Now, it's not just the, the lovey-dovey Hollywood kind of love. It's that love which he showed to us. Well, he showed to the disciples, at least after this event, where it's that my definition, definition has been over the years. I'm sure I grabbed it from somebody else. Total self-giving for the other person's benefit without any expectation of anything in return. So that's not the love that the world shows, is it? The love is always loving so that somebody might love me back. But Jesus did that. When he died on the cross, he died showing his love for the world whether they accepted him or not. He didn't expect anything back. And this is the love that we're called, this agape love that the Greek word talks about. It's that total self-giving. Total self-giving, I've just forgotten it. Total self-giving to somebody else without any expectation of anything in return. Okay, so are we doing that? We're com- it's not an option, it's a commandment. And it's a crucial uh, or a essential command, if you like. It has to be the basis of us following Jesus. We love him, we love one another. That's the uh, importance of this command. John wrote about it, Jesus said it, and John recorded it many, many times in his gospel. I'm going to just flick through a few of these passages. I'm sure they're familiar to you. John chapter 13 in his gospel, verses 34 to 35, says this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So Cheryl was talking about the children being encouraged to become disciples of Jesus, but then to go and make disciples of Jesus. What's the characteristic that we should be seeing in people? It's that self-giving love. It's modelled by Jesus. Again, in John chapter 15, in the earlier part of the chapter, it says this, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I use this, this passage often at wedding ceremonies. Greater love has no man than he lays down his life for a friend. Husband and wife. Partnership is one of laying down their lives for each other without any expectation of anything in return. That's the love that God showed us. And sometimes we often find ourselves doing doing things for some reward, but that's not what Jesus wanted. He did it for the sake of all mankind. In Romans, Paul even has a similar theme. He says this, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. 
of the law of grace that Paul's talking about when we love one another because of what Christ has done. Again, in John, in one of his later letters, he writes this, For this is the message you've heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Is it clear enough yet? Have you heard it often enough yet this morning that this fundamental, above everything else, in our Christian walk, in our daily walk as followers of Jesus, is to love one another. Again, in in John's letter, he says this, 1 John 3, verses 22 to 23. And receive from him anything we ask, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded it. It's a command. It's not an option. Jesus has commanded us to love one another. If we're not doing that, we need to check our own lives and say, why can't I love my brother or sister in Christ? If there's a blockage there, we need to deal with it. Why do you think, why do you think God's word gives us this commandment so many times? Why do you think that is? It's probably the same reason why we celebrate the communion regularly, is we forget. You know? We think, yes, I've heard that, Yes, I've understood it. Yes, I'll try and do it, but we forget. And so we're reminded over and over again that we should love one another. And, and a part of the reason is it's our sinful nature, our selfish nature. We, it's hard work. Anybody reckon it's hard work to love one another? I do. I, it's hard work to love me. Yeah, ask Cheryl. Where is she? Yeah. Um, but... Um, Sometimes our sinful nature takes over and it says, this is too hard, I give up. Or this is too hard, I don't want to spend the time or energy that it takes to love someone else because it's hard work. So I think that's why the command is over and over again in the Gospels and in the letters that we are to love one another. It's Jesus' command to us. Um, The apostles struggled with it. They struggled with it. They, they wanted to be the, the greatest. They wanted to uh, be the first amongst the apostles. There was this pride. There was this ego. There was this, inverted commas, lack of love for one another. And Jesus had to speak to them about that. He had to tell them to live that love for one another that God wanted for them. The apostles struggled with it, so we'll struggle with it too, no doubt about it. But it's something we need to learn over and over again. One uh, writer that I found this uh, week, oh, this is another passage, I'll skip over that. He, um, he said this, his name is, is Scott Laferb. He's a pastor and an author. He told this story, and it goes something like this. He told about a church that completely died. The church was no more. People didn't gather there anymore. Empty buildings. And it happened in part of something that was an incident in the church kitchen. A new family had come to the church to take part in the in their first ever potluck dinner. You know, everybody brings something to share. Yeah, and 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 the the wife cheerfully bought her her red jelly um, dessert and with whipped cream. You know, oh, can't wait for morning tea already. <laughs> and then so she headed up to the fellowship hall and and she put the um, the the, the uh, jelly dessert in the fridge. Later, when everybody started to uh, be served, they served out there. The husband said to her, where's your dessert? There must be some mistake, she said. Maybe somebody didn't look in the fridge or they forgot to put it out. I'll find out what's happening. 
So she went to the kitchen to check, got there just in time to see a lady dumping her dessert down the garbage disposal. New family in church, first potluck dinner. Not sure how you'd feel about that. Anyhow, what are you doing, she asked. That's my dessert. Without batting an eye, the woman looked up and said, you're new to this church. You'll soon learn that we only use real whipped cream here, not dairy whip canned cream. Then she hit the switch and the dessert went down the gurgler. That was the start of the downfall of that church. Was that showing love towards one another? Hmm. But sadly, sadly over the years, I'm so glad that I haven't been in churches that where we've had canned whipped cream. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> but sadly, many people in churches have come to churches. They've been offended. They've had something said to them or said about them. They've been treated wrong by people. And sadly, it's been a downfall of that church. When the Bible, when Jesus tells us to love one another, to totally give someone else yourself without any expectation of any return. It's a crucial commandment. And something we need to work on all the time, something I need to work on all the time, don't know about you. But secondly, that loving one another is also a crucial sign. Uh, it's not something that Jesus has just said or told us to do. It's something that should be visible in our lives, wherever we are, whether it's in the context of the church or outside the church. And uh, that's what John said in, in John chapter 13 and verse 35. He said, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's not as if we've got a neon sign, disciple of Jesus on our forehead. It's how we do life amongst people whether they're Christians or not. It's how we do life. It's how we love one another. Uh, an English author, you may know her name, Rita Snowden, she told of a vi- visit to a village uh, near Dover in, in England. And she sat there at a sidewalk cafe. And suddenly she felt like she was surrounded by thousands of flowers, the aromas. This a wonderful aroma drifted through the street. So Rita asked the cafe owner, where that sweet smell was coming from. And he told her that the perfume factory was located close by. And at the end of the day, when the workers left the perfume factory, they carried the aroma of the factory with them down the street. That's what we're supposed to do, isn't it? Aren't we supposed to have the aroma of Christ in our lives? Paul writes about that in in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 14 to 15. He says this, But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So I wonder if loving one another is not just a command for you, but it's a sign for you in your life, that you're having this sweet aroma for Christ wherever you go. It's what, that is one of the fundamentals of our faith in Jesus. If we don't sincerely love one another, then we'll miss the sign of knowing Jesus. I wonder if you're doing that. Second fundamental is that Jesus talks about in this passage is the cost of following him. He says to them, The world will hate you. 
the world will hate you. In uh, another passage, another gospel, in Luke chapter 14, uh, Luke writes about a similar thing. In verse 14, chapter 14, verse 27 through to 30, he says this, And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you can have the money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation, fundamentals, and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying the person began to build and wasn't able to finish. The cost, the builder counted the cost before he built the tower. There's a cost to us. And sadly, over the years, uh, people have been told, you come to Jesus and all your problems will be solved. That's a lie. You come to Jesus and he'll help you work through the difficulties in life. There's no rose garden. And I wonder if people have overlooked the cost of following Jesus. Because it is tough when there are some people in our world, whether it be our family our uh, so-called friends or our workmates reject us because we are religious or because we choose to show out our faith by loving others. Sadly, it's happened over and over again. What did, he, what did Jesus say? Or what did uh, John write? Uh, some people will hate us. Verse 18 in that chapter 15 in John, he says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Now, this is before the crucifixion, mind you. Already there was an antagonism towards Jesus by the religious leaders of the day. And the disciples had seen that. They may have even felt it firsthand. So Jesus is saying, people will hate you because they hated me first. So don't be surprised if we get misunderstood or if we get ridiculed or if we get um, hated because people know that we are followers of Jesus likely to happen and probably more as time goes by verse 19 if you belong to the world it would love you as its own as it is you do not belong to the world but i have chosen you out of the world jesus says that is why the world hates you we have been chosen as followers of jesus goes on in that same passage remember that i told you a servant is not greater than his master if they persecuted me they will persecute you also If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. And the final verse, verse 21 there says, they will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Have you seen it over the years? The name Christian has become a derogatory term in some areas of our society. You know, Uh, sadly, sadly, people have buckled to that and have stopped using that word Christian. Christian means one belonging to Christ. And, uh, and there's been a lot of criticism, media and in the, in, the, in the community about Christ. But why do they hate us? Why do they hate us? Because we belong to Jesus. They hate us because we belong to Jesus. And it's going throughout the world. There's many places in our world. And I don't know if anybody gets these, these um Magazines, Voice of the Martyrs, anybody seen that one? There's often copies up on the table there if you want to borrow one. Uh, I get it in the mail. There are stories in here, this particular issue is the latest one, out of Africa. There are places in Africa where people who are Christians 
are having their houses burnt down, their families killed, their churches burnt down because they choose to identify with Jesus. There's places around the world where that's happening. Um, one story that I, uh, I read was about January 2020. There was a story about uh, Christianity Today, it was. It wasn't the Voice of the Martyrs. Christianity Today is another magazine that I get. It says, somewhere in the world, eight Christians are killed every day because of their faith. 82 churches or Christian buildings are attacked every week. This is 2020. Every month, 309 Christians are imprisoned unjustly. We don't see a lot of that in Australia, but it's happening around the world. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie Sound of Freedom yet. Uh, if, you, if it upsets you about uh, uh, children who have been uh, imprisoned through uh, sex slavery, don't go and see the movie. It's a sad movie. It's a tearjerker, but it has a good ending. Certainly, the voice of the martyrs told about this story about a man who was in uh, Bangladesh, I think, Pakistan. His name was Sharoon. He was a Christian teenager. He was recently beaten to death by Muslim classmates after being accused of drinking from the same glass as a Muslim. That's how strong it is. This is 2017. Sharoon had started class in the exclusive boys' government school just three days before his murder. He'd been admitted based on high grades, so he wasn't foolish. He was a, a bright cookie and was the only Christian in his class. A teacher in the room at the time of the attack said he didn't notice the incident because he was reading a newspaper. This is happening around the world today and uh, people are hated because we belong to Jesus. Jesus gave us the reason. The reason is that we belong to him. He gave us the result of their hatred in verses 22 to 24. Remember, he's preparing the disciples. They hadn't experienced it. Well, they might have experienced this minimally to this point, but they hadn't experienced what was going to happen to them after the crucifixion and resurrection. Verse 22 says, if I had not come and spoken to them, that's the world, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Remember, sin means disobedience to God. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. Verse 24, if I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. That's the result of their hatred. Jesus was talking about those Jewish leaders who stubbornly, stubbornly rejected him. Not all of them, thankfully, but most of them rejected him, what he said about God and what he said about himself. Please don't be discouraged. I don't think Jesus was intending them to be discouraged. I think he was intending them to be prepared. And there's a difference there. We have Christ. We as Christians have Christ with us. We belong to him. When we've accepted that he has died on the cross for our sin and disobedience and rose from the dead to give us that eternal life, we belong to him. He loves us. He went to the cross for us. It's pretty foolish to reject what Jesus did. That's what I think. Even though a lot of the world does, a lot of people reject him. And as a result of that rejection, hatred comes. He sets the guidelines, doesn't he? He sets the rules. He sets the boundaries, the good boundaries, the healthy boundaries. 
if we follow him and we follow his ways and we follow his rules, we, we walk within his boundaries, life can be good. But it excludes a lot of the stuff that the world has to offer. And he says in verse 25, but this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. He refers back to some of the Psalms that David wrote where David was talking about himself, but they were actually messianic or prophetic Psalms about Jesus. I'll just read one for you. I don't think I've got it up on the screen there. I might have. Yeah, I have. Listen to this. David's writing it from his perspective, but it certainly looks forward to Jesus as the Messiah. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I've come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. Now remember, the Psalms are very picturesque. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me, I am forced to restore what I did not steal. This is David writing about it. He said, those who hate me without reason. And and many of the Jews that were uh, following Jesus to the cross were shouting out accusations at him for no reason. I wonder if there was anybody in that crowd where Jesus had healed their child or he'd uh, taught some some great teaching to their lives. I wonder if they were part of the crowd that day. We don't know. It certainly goes on in the next couple of verses. It says, sorry, I missed that. I think I've jumped ahead. Let me see. I got this right. No. Nah. All right. So I'll just read verses five and six because I forgot to put them on the screen. You, God, know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. Lord, the Lord Almighty, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. God of Israel, may those who seek you not be put to shame because of me. So David was writing about himself, but he's prophesying about the Messiah to come. And that's true. Those who put their hope in Jesus will not be disappointed. They will not be put to shame. But that doesn't mean that the world won't hate them. I wonder if we need to rededicate our lives and we need to say, Lord, I want to live loving one another. I want to live knowing that in spite of the world hating me, I'll stay true to you. John chapter 13, which I've got up there now. Yeah. Verses, uh, John chapter 3, verses 17 to 18 says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. I wonder... If that's our attitude to people around about us, when they, when they say they hate Christians or they hate uh, Jesus, Jesus still died for them. He still died for them. He wants them to come to faith in him. Everybody needs Jesus and the Lord wants us to be his witnesses. Verses 26 and 27 of the passage out of John 15 says this. When the Advocate comes, when the, when the Comforter comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who goes out for the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. He was talking to his disciples, but now he reminds them, reminds them, reminds them, I'll get there, of the Comforter, 
that is to be that is to be sent, the comforter of the Holy Spirit. The third fundamental is not that we should love one another, only love one another, not we should understand the, the cost of following Jesus, but we should know that God is with us by his spirit. They're the fundamentals of following Jesus. When the comforter is come, the King James Version says, that's the one we should trust in, the spirit of truth. He is with us always. He will testify to us about the Father. He'll testify to us about the Son. I trust that that we will know that comfort of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I trust that we will know more than ever in times like this when Christian activity is restricted around the world in some form or other, that Christ is still with us and he will still be that comforter, he'll still be that, that guide, that advocate, because his Holy Spirit is with us. Will you praise the Lord with me about the fundamentals? Praise the Lord that, that he calls us to love one another. Praise the Lord that he makes us aware that the world will hate us because we follow Jesus, but praise the Lord that the Holy Spirit is with us and he will comfort us. That's what Jesus encouraged his disciples with that day. I trust that he's encouraged us as well, preparing them for the, what's to come, but giving us hope for every day, giving us the preparation for what's to come for us. If we know these fundamentals, we won't be shaken by what comes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, your word, even though it was written uh, a thousand, hundreds of years ago, is still relevant for us today. The truths that are contained in it are true for us today. We thank you for the words of Jesus. We thank you that he was preparing his disciples and preparing us for what we will face in our world. The, the labelling that comes or the, or the uh, hate speech that, that's, that's given. Father, we'll be ready for that because we know that your Spirit's with us. You'll strengthen us, you'll encourage us, you'll guide us through the, through the difficulties. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that we will be people who are, uh, show the sign of, of loving one another as followers of Jesus. And that will be evident to everybody around us. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Cheryl, and the team.